Good morning. Thank you, Dwayne. How are you all? Man, I just, we can go home, you know? Worship the Lord. It's wonderful to worship the Lord. It really, really is. It really, really is wonderful. And to worship the Lord with truth in our hearts, with passion in our soul. You know, I've never met a man who wants to marry an emotionless bride. But for some reason, many people believe that about the Lord. They want the church to be emotionless. It's his bride. Hello. It's his wife. It's his bride. And there's passion and there's joy and there's exuberance. Yeah? I can tell you guys really believe me. (laughs) It's good to be back. It's good to see you all. And uh, just a quick thing, uh, two quick announcements. Actually, just one. Um, Greg Haswell, who's a wonderful apostolic man, He's been here numerous times. He's had a relationship with this church for many years. He's going to be with us next week. His wife, Michelle, who's a very prophetic woman, and uh, she unfortunately is not able to make it, but he's coming, and uh, so I encourage you to come next week. He really carries something of the Lord and of an apostolic mandate, and he has many churches that relate to them as a church all over the world. So he's going to be with us next week, so we're looking forward to that. Amen. So this morning, um, I'm just going to jump right in uh, for the sake of time, and I'm doing something that I think I've maybe only done one other time, and I'm going to preach the same message I preached five weeks ago, Uh, not exactly the same, but as I was preparing, we started something five weeks ago, just looking at the two generations of Israelites out of Numbers 13 and 14, and then Joshua, the two generations that, you know, pretty much 40 years apart, stood opposite the promised land and wanted to go in and we looked at we're going to look at the differences between the two and now I preached five weeks ago about this and then I left and went away and uh, I'm not saying you don't remember never Uh, I know we asked you guys to go and read Numbers 13 and 14, so I know you've all been fasting and praying and studying Numbers 13 and 14 and asking God for revelation, so it's not much you won't know about it at this point. But um, I just felt in my heart, the Lord just dropped it in my heart, said, I've got to re-preach some of the things. And we'll go a little bit further this time, and I won't cover everything, but it's extremely important, and because God put a dream in my heart many years ago, uh, about a generation that knows the Lord, you know, a generation that doesn't just go through the motions, generation of people that actually believe the Lord and that actually know Him, that actually know Him. And in the Western mind, in the Western culture, we know so much about God. We, some people know the scriptures off by heart. The Bible says in John 5, when Jesus stood looking at the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think um, you have eternal life. But these are they, the scriptures, he's speaking, Jesus. These are they which speak of me, and you have yet to come to me. In other words, he says, you know the scripture, you know the word of God by heart, and I'm standing in front of you, and you can't see me. And I, I find we're back there in many spheres of the church, And I love the Word of God, I love doctrine, but the Word of God should lead you to the person. Jesus is the Word made flesh, and it should bump you up into an encounter with a person. And Jesus defined eternal life as knowing God. It's not living forever. He said eternal life is to know God. 
And God just put a dream in my heart. That's why you'll see it written in various places in the building. And at Free Life Church, we've just endeavored to build a culture where people know the Lord. You know, because I believe with all my heart, and as many of you do, that it is more important for my neighbor. Now, planting churches is extremely important. This church was planted, so it's extremely important. But sometimes we get so busy doing for God and trying to be successful. I'm not really interested in a successful church. Obviously, I don't wanna, we don't want to fail as a body. That's not what I mean. But the metrics of success should not be anything to do with what the world says success is. It is actually to know the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that it's better for the person who lives next door to me. It's better for the person I bump into when I'm just going throughout the world. They will know God if I'm, if I'm with them, if you're with them. They will actually come to an experience with the Lord because a person they've met actually knows the Lord than another ministry or another church starting that they're never going to hear about. Because they're not looking for it. But they're looking for people. They're looking for relationships. Are we, are we friends? All right, so I'm going to look at it again. So if you have a Bible, can you hold a physical, if you have a physical Bible, not a digital one, can you hold it way up in the air? Wonderful, wonderful. These are my friends today. The rest of you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. You know, I'll say this, uh, I'll say this before, and I'll say it again. Something I discovered with the digital, you know, digital Bible or, it's like going to a library. If I go to a library the old-fashioned way, I will find something I wasn't looking for. When I use a digital Bible, I go to exactly what I'm looking for and I find it. When I use an actual Bible, I come across things I wasn't looking for but God wanted me to see. I encourage you to pick up an old Bible. You can, it can be new. Okay. You can go buy one and actually read it. I tell Josh all the time, this is a good book. You should read it. So, uh, keep telling me, he says. So, we're going to look at two generations. The promised land, and, and I'm going to try to be basic. I'm going to try to be as, as, as plain as possible. It is so important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm actually quickly going to go read it. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, most of them God was not well pleased with that generation, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's a nice scripture. But now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not last after evil. Later on he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse, verse 10. It says, no complaint as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages has come. And what the New Testament is saying is go back to these two generations. Go, well, not just these two. Go back to this part of Scripture, to the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness. Look at why they wondered what happened, why it happened. And he says they were written as examples for us in this age. And we're in the last age called the last days before Christ comes back. And so we're going to do what the Bible tells us to do. Now, understand also that it was, they were set free physically, because the Old Testament is often, is prophetic, pointing to Christ. It happened physically to them. It'll happen spiritually to us. They got set free from Egypt, which represents the world. 
Okay? Pharaoh, Satan, Egypt, the world. Egypt, not actual the country. Okay? So Egypt, with them, got, they got set free out of slavery of Egypt into the wilderness, into the promised land. That was God's desire. We get set free from, it was a physical, physical place to a physical wilderness to a physical promised land. We get set free from spiritual sin. The Bible says we are slaves to sin, Romans 6. And the enemy is our slave master, the one whipping the Israelites. What were they doing? They were, they were building clay, uh, bricks with clay and with mud and straw and building Pharaoh's kingdom. How many Christians I talk to that feel like all they do is they go to work and then they go home, they go to work and they go home and they say, I feel like I'm just building the system of the world. I'm just building with clay and with straw and with bricks, but there's no purpose in me. And Psalm 40 says he pulled me out of the miry clay, referencing when purpose got put into their life. It starts with salvation. And they get set free from spiritual sin, from spiritual slavery, into this place called the wilderness. And people, the wilderness always has a bad context for many people. It's actually the grace of God. He, gets, he takes you into a season where you are without distraction, without the culture and the systems of the world influencing you, and it feels like you're in a cave with the Lord. You know, that's what I'm talking about. And he's teaching you, and he's revealing himself to you, just like he did with them. And he's blessing you, and he's providing for you. You know, like a young believer, they get saved, and they're like, Lord, I need money. And the next day, boom, money. And they're like, man, the next Billy Graham has landed. Here I am. And it's like every prayer is just answered. I've seen it over and over. New believer, they just pray and it's boom. It's like, like a baby. I want this. Okay. But as they grow, it changes a little. And then they think, am I doing something wrong? No, you, God's going to mature you. And he's growing you up. Am I making sense? And he sends us into us this, this season of it's us and him and us and him. To develop us in order for us to walk into the promises of God, which is where we walk in and amongst the world, no longer affected by it. To invite them to live a kingdom life. You know, Elijah, the Tishbite, he just arrives on the scene. None of this is in the notes. This is an interesting day. Elijah arrives on the scene, 1 Kings 17 and 18. He just arrives, just boom. There's no hit. We don't know where he comes from. It says, Elijah the Tishbite. And God says, listen, go up and go to the brook. At, at, uh, at the, go up to the brook. And he goes up to Brook Shiron. And he stays up there. And all of those words, if you study them, it means the descending and the presence. And the, he went into this place with the Lord. And he was fed. And, and it was just this wonderful time. But then the Lord says, okay, now leave that. The brook dried up. And then he says, now go to, uh, forget the place now, under King Sidon. And he goes there. And that word means refinement. And then he goes from there and he says, now go show yourself uh, to, 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 the, to the king, to Jezebel. But what happened was the place where he went second, the place where he went second, he first went to this brook, then he went to the city. I forget the name, I'm so sorry. Actually, I'll show you. My wife is, I can hear my wife. Shoot that rabbit. Don't go down the rabbit trail. Shoot it. Kill that rabbit. Bad rabbit. Bad rabbit. 
But then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath. You know the widow at Zarephath? That place, Zarephath, means refinement. The first place he went was very similar. It was the descending of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. Then go to a place where I will refine you. Then the Lord comes to him again and says, Now go and show yourself to the king. Go show yourself. What happened? You know that where he went used to be the stronghold of Jezebel's father. Jezebel's father was the king of that place he went to be refined. He was commissioned to go and take down the spirit behind Jezebel and to deal with that issue. So God sent him into a place where he could learn to live under that stronghold until he wasn't affected by it. And then get sent to a place to bring that whole thing down. We want to go from here, saved, and I was saved three months. I have this worldwide ministry. And we get battered and hit, and God says, there's a place here with me. Learn me. Learn you. And learn my family. So, one of these, these two generations, let's go to Numbers 13. These two generations... They come to this a very similar place. They want to go into the promised land. One of the generations to this day is known for unbelief. One of the generations, the second generation, many preachers call the Joshua generation, is known for taking hold of God's promises. And the amazing thing is that it's, it hinged on things like attitude. Not just power, signs and wonders, attitude and obedience and unity and faith and of course belief. So the first time I preached this, we asked some questions to ensure a biblical lens or a biblical perspective. And these are the three questions we asked and answered. What does it mean for a New Testament believer to possess the promised land or to possess the land? Because it's not a physical land. What does that mean? People, you know, I hear preachers saying, we must possess the land. God has a promised land for me. What does that mean? Because sometimes we grow up in the church and we hear stuff and we're like, it sounds awesome. And then someone else says to me, what does he mean? Well, I don't know. But it sounds great. Secondly, what are the biblical motives, which I won't uh, cover today. We covered that last time. And what lessons can we take from the two different generations? We're going to spend a few weeks there. Now, unfortunately, we're having, not unfortunately, it's great. Greg is coming. But I'm starting this again, and we're going to have a break next week. But then we'll get back to it, and we'll stay with it. What does it mean for a New Testament believer to possess the promised land? In the Old Testament, as I said, physical land, physical wilderness, physical promised land. In the New Testament, spirit set free from spiritual sin, from spiritual slavery, to, to a spiritual time of the Lord, to actually living in the kingdom life. And the New Testament, the taking hold of the promised land, is actually walking into the promises of God. There are many promises of God. And I'll read it to you this way. In the New Testament, as being people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, yes, because when they were set free from Egypt and moved into the wilderness, that means it's everything you see there is happening to a person who's saved. They're saved. They're out of Egypt. They're out of the world. They've been set free. It's like Christians. In the New Testament, as people being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ as our atoning sacrifice for sin, 
We are saved from spiritual slavery out of the world to walk with the Lord in his church as his bride, living in the victories that Jesus paid for, but many of those victories are given not automatically, they're given by promise. By faith, Hebrews 6.12, by faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Everything you need will be given to you. But everything, in a sense, you want to walk in, everything that you feel the tug and the pull of God, you're going to have to go and fight for. Salvation is a gift. (laughs) Everything you need will be given. And you can, in a sense, earn it. And you can't even earn the promises of God. Jesus made a payment for them. But we have to learn to position ourselves to go and take hold of something that Jesus already paid for. But we still have to fight for it. He said to the Israelites, go in and take possession of the land that I've given to you, but go fight for it. What about great Paul the Apostle? In Philippians 3, he talks about, he says, I have not yet taken hold of it, talking about all that God, he said, I've not yet taken hold of it. I have not yet attained it, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. There is a that for your life. Christ took hold of you for a purpose, to put purpose in you to start with. But he took hold of you. There's a that. What is the that? What is the, it's to walk into the promises of God and to live in the victories of Christ. Not just bless me, love me. To actually walk into the sphere that Christ has called us to and paid for with his blood, with his body, and actually learn to carry the Holy Spirit to a dying and broken world. And many of the, can I speak plainly? So much of the modern church has cut off so much of what Jesus paid for just because they haven't seen it. And we've created doctrines to say this doesn't exist, this doesn't exist. Why? Because you have to fight to take hold of it. It's the promises of God. And as we know, the first generation did not enter, not because of their great sin. That may shock you. Hebrews 3.19, we see that they, it says it plain in English in the Bible. They could not enter because of unbelief. Not because of all the bad things they did, but because they couldn't believe God in their heart. You know, the first generation, like first opportunity they had, they made a golden calf. And I love Aaron's response. We threw the gold into the fire, it just popped out. I don't know. It just, a calf jumped up, it's magic. Moses is like, no, brother, no. Right? You know that the second generation did a very similar thing? The first time they came, after all the wanderings, those people have all died. This is now the group, the Joshua generation, who believe God, they're generous. The first impact they have with the world is Numbers 25 with the Moabite woman. And they come in and they seduce them and get them to worship gods and they end up having sex at the temple, at the tabernacle entrance. That's the second generation. We think they're these perfect people that went in and Phineas, Aaron's grandson, says, nope, and basically, I don't mean to be crude, but there they were, and he stuck them to the ground. And that stopped the plague that was breaking out amongst them, the judgment of the Lord. Yet they still entered the first generation, idolatry, worship, second generation, idolatry, worship. I'm not saying it's good, but they, ent- they didn't enter because of unbelief. They entered because they still believed God. 
belief in the human heart, belief that God puts there. Can you believe me despite yourself? Do you believe that I'm good despite you? Do you believe that I'm faithful when you're not? Can you believe God? Can you know him? And can you take hold of that, what he's called us to? If it depended on your perfection, none of us would go anywhere. Definitely not Josh. (laughs) So, it is the desire of the Lord, please hear me, it is the desire of the Lord to take us from Egypt to get to know him, to walk in victory. He paid for it with his life. Then we looked at biblical motives. First, obviously, being the glory of the Lord. What are the biblical motives to walk in the promises of God? Because I see so many people talk about it, and it's all about them. What gifts I have, what great, wonderful talents I have, what you know, things I know. But actually, biblical motives is the glory of the Lord, that he will receive his, what his suffering gave him. He will receive his due reward. It's the glory of the Lord. Secondly, debt. And I'm going to read this one again. Romans 1, 13 to 16. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned, Paul speaking to Rome, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. And you've heard me say this before, but... Obviously, I don't mind saying things again and again. I'm preaching the same sermon. When God revealed to me, and I've read it, I know it, but it came a revelation to me that I actually owe the world. I'm a debtor to Greeks and to Gentiles, to people who don't believe, and to barbarians, people who don't don't even know anything about Scripture. I actually owe them. (laughs) That was a revelation to me. Because the church, unfortunately, and I love the church. I'm not knocking the church. I love the church. I love God's bride. But in many circles, they're known for what they disapprove of. And that's all they're known for. But we are actually debtors to them. We owe them what Christ gave us. Now, we can't give it, but we owe them to position ourselves to begin to carry and walk with the Spirit. We owe them the truth. We owe them the gospel. Their response is up to them, but we are debtors to them, to the world. We owe them to carry God in such a way that we can break through the Spirit that is blinding them for them so that they can see and make a decision. We actually owe them. Not preachers. The body of Christ. We owe it to the world to not just go through the motions. I said that last time. We owe it to the world to not become outwardly religious but have no power. We actually owe that to the world. And that all comes from knowing the Lord. Not from how great you are. From knowing Him. Just knowing Him. Knowing Him. I consider it all rubbish, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, Jude, there's, a, there's something called the Jude 3 Project. I don't know what it is, but I got given this quote by my wife. And they obviously did some research, and they said this. This is a quote. Many millennials resent church because their parents 
we're good at church, but not good at life. In other words, they got so sucked into the church and they got so good at doing church, but there was no transformation. And I'm not saying that of you. Of course, it's no one in this building, of course. Of course, it's everybody else, right? Many millennials resent church because their parents were good at church, but not good at life. They struggle attending a place that consumed their parents' time, but never transformed their parents' private lives. And that, we have to change that. We owe the world breakthrough. We do. We do. We must have victory. And then lastly, the last biblical motive was eternal reward, which I won't go into. But now, what lessons can we take from Numbers 13, 14, from these two different generations? Today, it may sound a little bleak to you, because <laughs> we're looking at the first one. But the second generation, there are incredible differences that we see that they've adopted and changed and attitudes and positions of the heart, which we'll get into in a few weeks. So let's go to Numbers 13 if we can. And I'm just going to go over this quick. And it says here, Numbers 13:1, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Verse 1, which I am, now verse 2, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So the people who went, the spies who went, were leaders. Now, I'm going to speak to leaders real quick, leaders in any sphere. What's interesting to me is here in, Ju in Numbers 13, it says the Lord said to do this. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses actually clarifies and he says the people, it's speaking to the people, Moses said, you all came to me and told me to send spies and the plan pleased me in the Lord. Here it says the Lord says it. You know, sometimes as leaders, God speaks to you through the people you lead, and you have to have an ear to hear them, because leadership in the kingdom is not, da not top-down. It's responsibility in front of, take the hits, but the, it's for the people. And sometimes the people will come to you with stuff, and you have to hear them, because sometimes that's the Lord. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes sheep just bite, <laughs> and they have infected teeth, and that's okay. But Moses knew the difference. And so all the people who went were actually leaders. They were actually leaders. And then go down to verse 17, and we know what happened. It says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, and he gave them seven things to look out for. Go into the way of the south, and go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are weak or strong few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So Moses takes these new leaders and sends them straight away, commissions them to go into the promised land and look for these seven things. He says, go and look with these eyes. And we know what happens, verse 26 they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of the Israel of the, in the wilderness of Paran. That's where the Israel was camped at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Can, I, can we say this together? Where you sent us. Let me say it again. Where you sent us. You know that sometimes... 
often God's people have to be pushed, not pushed like bad leadership, but God will press them and position them. They have to be sent even just to look at what Jesus paid for. They wouldn't have even gone in. They actually had to be sent in. Go into the victory. Go look at the promised land, please. You know? Because it's, it's a bit scary. And they said, so we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Uh, this is the worst advertising ever. Because it's like, it's amazing, but we can't go there. It says, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very la- large. And, and you can read on, and I'm not going to read it. But essentially what we see is this. Moses sent them to look for these certain military things. What is it fortified? Is it strong? Is there lumber for building? Are they in the valleys? Are they on the mountains? Is it easily defendable? Because they've got to go in and take hold of it, even though God's given it to them. And they come back, and this is... this. Honestly, this rocked my world. It's a big deal. They come back and they give Moses a factual report. They give Moses a report based on what he asked for. Now the Bible says they brought an evil report. They brought a bad report. All they did was tell Moses what he asked for. And the Bible says they gave a bad report. Why? Because they looked with natural eyes. Not with the eyes of the spirit. Not with the heart of belief. You go look at the report they gave and what they were asked to go and look for. They came and said, it's like this, 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 and this. They made the decision. Therefore, we can't go in. But they didn't look with what God had said. They didn't, the Bible says, they didn't enter because of unbelief. They didn't take hold of what God had for them because they looked at what their eyes could see and it, in a sense, affirmed what their hearts felt and they said oh we can never go in but God has spoken and so what is the consequence what happens then we know the story God says for every day that you touch the promise for every day that you spent in the promised land but couldn't believe me to actually take hold of it you will pay one year the reason they spent 40 years in the wilderness is because they, ha- they touched the promised land for 40 days but couldn't believe to possess it. So what is the... How do I say? What is the result of leaders, because this is leaders, who cannot believe to take God's people in who cannot see with eyes of the Spirit, who give the report, yes, it's true, this is happening in the nation. This is happening in our land. This is happening. The things are terrible. But will someone stand? Will someone see what God has said? Will someone say, this is what the Lord has said. These are the promises of God over this nation, over me, over you, over this church. This is what the Lord has said. Because when leaders speak with a materialistic mindset. You know what that is? That's not just a love of things. It's putting more faith in what I see than in what I can't. In the things of God. And when leaders speak with that heart, 
What is the result? Please hear me. We lose an entire generation. An entire generation. Where do we lose them to? Well, Numbers, tw- Numbers 14.29 says this. And I'm, I'm, are you guys still with me? Yes. It says the carcasses, and this is pretty severe. God speaking. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. He said, because you didn't believe me, you will spend 40 years in the wilderness, one year for every day, and your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Now, that is tragic, yet I still see the grace of God. Why? Because at this time in, the Israel, in Israel's history, the wilderness to them had only been about a year and a half. All it had been to them was God revealing himself at Mount Sinai, the cloud, the pillar of smoke, the fire, the provision, the quail, the manna, the power, the presence, the tabernacle. At this point, it had just been God. And they complained all the way, of course. But it had just been the Lord speaking to them, blessing them, helping them, showing them. And then he says, you will now die in the wilderness. But the grace of God is that No one will attack you. Your shoes will never wear out. I will continue to provide for you. I will take care of you. You will, for all of that time, I will guard you. I will keep you. Nothing, you will have everything you need. You will have me. I never left. Think about that. God never left when they didn't believe him. The pillar never walked away. The the cloud never left. I will bless you. I will be with you. I will speak to you. I will still teach you who I am. So to us, yes, it's tragic, but there's also the grace of God. But you know, if I took that understanding into the New Testament, please don't be offended with what I'm about to say. It's like God saying, this generation will die going to church. (laughs) They will die with the presence of God, with the blessing of God learning about me, but the city around them will never even know they were there. Hello. What will be said of this generation? These are the lessons. God says, go back and look. Go back and look. Their carcasses died in the wilderness (laughs) because they couldn't believe the Lord. To go in and take possession. It's not to go in as it was for them to take other people's stuff away. It's to go in in the spirit and actually take hold of a region in the spirit and live a kingdom life that people can see. God's way is better. And become a city on a hill. And a light to the blind. Because of the Lord. I hope I'm making sense to you. There's a vital, vital role of leaders, absolutely vital. And then we have the diverging reports from the leaders, Caleb and Joshua and the rest of the 10. Can we read that real quick? Numbers 14, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord, 
brought us out to this land to fall by the sword. You know in the Deuteronomy version of this it says, why does the Lord hate us? That's their perspective of God. He set them free, took them in, blessed them, revealed himself to them, had a promised land for them, told them he would do it, but they need to go fight for it, but he's going to be with them, he'll take care of the enemy. And they said, well, God hates us. Look at the difference in Caleb and Joshua. Then it says this, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to go back to the world, all this church stuff, let's just go back to the world. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And all of a sudden, faith becomes impossible. Because they're going to select a leader that's going to do what they think should be done. And faith is based on God's word, not man's word. The unbelieving generation positions themselves where faith becomes impossible. It's always possible with God, but you know what I mean? It becomes really difficult. And they make decisions along the way. We'll select someone who will do what we want them to do and will go where we want them to take us. But it started with, you sent us there. We didn't like that, so we're going to select someone who will take us where we want to go. But God's word is there. And they say, well, we want to go there. You cannot have faith where the will of God is not known. The will of God says go there. Then listen to this. Let's go down to verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it, not earn, give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. What is, and I know I said this, but we need to, and I ask you, think about it in your heart and in your life. What is the major difference? What is the one major difference between Joshua and Caleb and the other 10? The belief of the way God saw them. The Lord hates us, we can't do it. The Lord delights in us. We can do it. He, he's with us. He delights in us. We're not perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. But God will take us in. Because he said it and he's faithful to his word. And, and, and I don't understand how. But God is with us. He delights in us. Major difference. Let me ask you a question. <coughs> Sorry. What is your perspective? What do you think? How does God see you? Do you believe that he actually has promises that he's given you and desires for you to take a hold of them? Do you, do you believe that the prophetic words that he's maybe spoken over you in the past are still there? Do you believe that he delights in you? Do you believe he wants to bless you? Do you want to take you in? I know there is persecution. I know there is suffering in the kingdom. But that's very different to God's perspective of me. Are you, are you with me? What do you think in your heart? Because it actually determines a lot of where you go. What do we think as this body, Free Life Church? Friday night... I spent, I don't know, two, three hours 
going over all the prophetic, not all, some, all the prophetic words over the church, listening to all the prophetic songs for hours, just saying, Lord, remind me. Remind me who we are. Remind me where you're taking us. And remind me what you've said. And it's amazing. Amazing what the Lord has said. But if I, I can listen to all of that and think, well, we better get better. We better do this better. We better do that better. We better be better people. We better, with a, with a good heart, we won't go in. Because I'm making it dependent upon my behavior and upon how good we are instead of, God, I thank you. You delight in us. Show us the way forward. Big difference. Then we get an evil report. And Caleb said, let us go up at once. Then he says this. What is the people's response to the voice of faith? Joshua says, surely the Lord delights in them. And it says here in verse 10, Numbers 14, 10. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Interesting. Stone them with stones. You know, people can experience such a loss of hope. They can experience such a loss of hope that when faith speaks, they hate it. Because what is that scripture? A sick heart, deferred hope, leads to a sick heart. People can experience such a loss of faith, not even faith, even hope, no hope. I have no hope left. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening around us? There's such a loss of hope that when someone actually stands up and says, this is what God says, they say, silence that man. He's crazy. That's unrealistic. You know that most of God's generals, if you look at God's generals over the, most of revivalists, most of God's great generals throughout church history, you know most of them were kicked out of the established church at the time. Because all they did was stand up and say, this is what his word says. Let's go do what they did. Let's go take kingdoms. Let's go cast out demons. Let's go preach the gospel. Let's go heal the sick. Let's go do what he did because that's what he told us to do. And they say, well, that doesn't happen today and that's not for you and how dare you think you can do that and, and they ostracize it throughout church history because someone stands up and says, this is God's word and the Holy Spirit has been sent. He's here, he's with us, he's in me and he wants out through me. They say, it's unrealistic. Really? Really? He paid for it with his life to give you what he carried, the person of the Holy Spirit. Not so that we can come to church, go through the motions and die in the wilderness going to church, but the city never even knew we were here. I'm trying to stir your faith for what's possible. Then I love what happens. Dad shows up. All the congregation said, stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle. Dad, stop. Come here. 
Okay, don't kill Joshua. He's the next guy. You're all going to die. He's not, so don't kill him. Okay, that's really what happened. Then it says this. The Lord speaks to them. If, you, if you're a leader, go and read Moses' prayer and discussion with the Lord. It's one of the best leadership moments. God says, I'll kill everyone. Start with you. You and me, Moses. Moses says, Lord, that's, let's not do that. Let's do this. It's, it's one of the most challenging, interesting parts of Scripture. And the Lord actually says in verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned the Israelites. I have pardoned according to your word, Moses. That's what it means to be a friend of the Lord. To be invited into his counsel. Moses knew the Lord. Eternal life is to know the Lord. He invites you into his counsel to come to know him. But then he says this, As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because of all these men who have seen my glory in the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to test now these ten times. My dad spoke about that, which was outstanding last week. And have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. You know what the Lord said when they couldn't believe him? Hebrews 3.19, they didn't enter because of unbelief. It's the clearest statement in Scripture about how the Lord feels in his heart when people are unbelieving, when they're struggling. He asks Moses this question, how long will the people reject me? That's what it's like for him. <laughs> He's so faithful to us. And we reject him. And we, we've all done it. We all do it. I'm not putting a heavy. But he longs for us to see with eyes of faith and with eyes of the spirit, with eyes based on his word, even though I can't see it in the natural. It makes no sense to me now, but this is what the Lord says. And so I stand. And so I stand. And so I stand. And I lose my friends because they think I'm crazy, but I stand and become an answer. He says this, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, I love that verse. It's like he's a little, you know. But you know what that word actually means? It means following. Because he has a following spirit. He says, he's determined in his heart What's that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That's the spirit that's in Caleb's heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have a following spirit. And the Lord says he has a different spirit than all the others. The other translation says he has another spirit. Meaning no one else had that in their heart. Because he has a different spirit. and has followed me fully, I will bring him into this land. Then the Lord says this, again, grace. Actually, sorry, the Holy Spirit's, I gotta stay here. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into this land where he went and his descendants he shall inherit it. And we need a land. Caleb knew 40 years. He can do math. He said, so I'm not going to go into the place that I believed for for X amount of time. So I'm pretty much going to go in and then die. And it says, but his descendants 
would inherit it. See, the gospel is a generational gospel. And the church, we desperately need to grab a hold of that. There are Caleb's in our midst here today who have fought. And I know them. I know some of them. And I know what's in their heart because they tell me they desire for the people of God to go ahead and not rerun what they ran. You know, I, someone once said it like this. If, if, if the church is advancement, the kingdom advancement was like a football field, the first 30 or 40 yards would be so run that it's just mud. But then the, there's a few people that have gone further. Every generation in the church, I don't know what it is, we keep rerunning the same ground. We keep relearning the same lessons. And it's like we run and then there's breakthrough in a generation and then the next generation, we go through it all again. And we go through it all again. And a few break out. Why? Because of honor. To honor those who have run that and to trust the truth and to trust what they've learned, to trust it and to believe it. And to go and advance, to go into, to take hold of. Hezekiah, I think, was that wicked king where the Lord said to him, basically, you'll be fine in your generations, but your descendants won't inherit it. And he said, that's great for me, which is disastrous. Versus Caleb, who said, I will only come to touch the promises of God. But my children, they'll live there. That's the gospel heart. That's the heart of the men who started this nation. Hello. I'll fight for them. When we fight just for us, I've discovered the next generation will rerun that fight. And the next generation, and they plow the same ground over and over and over. Last verse. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. (laughs) What he's saying here, the Lord is saying, listen, the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they dwell in the valley. You can't go that way because you guys aren't ready to fight them. So it's, again, grace. So go that way. But he says, go by the way of the Red Sea. Why? In my heart, I believe. You couldn't believe me for what I wanted to do, so I will put before you what I have done. I will make you stare at the Red Sea until you believe, because what I did there, I will make you look at what I've done, at the testimony of Scripture, at the testimony of all the people here, at the truth of what I've done. I will make you look at that until this next generation will grow up staring at the testimony of the miraculous so they can believe me for what I want to do when you couldn't. Very important, the power of testimony. I'm gonna read you this and we'll close. When we say the promises of God, there's so many. I'm just gonna read you some of the promises of God in the New Testament, just in the New Testament, just a few. 
I ask you when you hear this, and I know we're over time, can we be a generation that is known to believe the Lord? God promised salvation to all who believe in his Son, and there is no greater blessing than the gift of God's salvation. God promised that all things will work out for the good for his children. (laughs) This is the broader picture that keeps us from being dismayed by present circumstances. Have you ever stood on that promise? God promised comfort in our trials. He has a plan, and these are all scriptures. I'm not giving you the, the 2 Corinthians 1. That's a, he has a plan, and one day we will be able to share the comfort we receive with others. God promised new life in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. Salvation is the beginning of a brand new existence on the earth. Ephesians 1, God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ, whereas in the Old Testament, Israel had the promise of a physical blessing. The church today has been promised spiritual blessing in heavenly realms, and our inheritance is reserved for us forever. 1 Peter, God promised to finish the work, Philippians 1.6, God promised to finish the work he started in us. Have you ever taken that promise when you've really messed up? You know, it's a promise. I will, I will finish the work I started in you. I have been through seasons where that is me every day. You mess up again and you, Lord, I know I can't earn it. I know you're faithful. I know you're good. You made a promise that you will finish the work that you started in me. Help me. You will finish it because you are faithful. You stand on a promise. Not on, I'm going to do better. You stand on a promise. God does nothing in half measures. He started a work in us. He will be sure to complete it. God promised peace when we pray. You know that? Philippians 4. He promised peace when you pray. His peace is protection. It will guard your heart and your mind. The thoughts what's happening in the nation well there's a promise you can stand on Philippians 4 God promised to supply our needs oh boy we all know that one Matthew Jesus Jesus promised rest all burdens lifted at Calvary Jesus promised abundant life to those who follow him Jesus promised eternal life Jesus promised his disciples power from on high and in this power it is said of them that they turned the world upside down And there's many. There are many. But we'll close there. The reason I felt to re-preach some of that, and I know it it, it was a little different, but because of where God has positioned us as a church, we have a delightful future and a delightful inheritance. And we've seen many miracles and healings and all these things, but it's to take hold of what God has called us to take hold of so that the cities and the nation and the people around will see the kingdom of God and the glory of God and God gets the glory as many are swept into the kingdom. And so we need to look at these verses. Amen. Can we stand? I'm going to ask Josh to come and pray for us. I know I went over time. Thank you. Please come next week. Greg's going to be here. I'm excited for him to come and minister. And then we will spend some time growing in Scripture after that. Bless you all. Yeah, good worship, good preaching. Not too bad. Even they called me out a few times, but we'll let it go. Now, um, in fact, uh, 
during worship, I did feel like uh, God wanted to do some healing today. So if you like healing for something, come over on this side. We're going to have a ministry team ready to, to pray with you. If you're visiting with us, thank you for coming. Uh, please pick up a gift on the way out and uh, fill out a connection card so that we can connect with you and let you know about everything that's going on here at Free Life. And Father, we just thank you for uh, your word, and we just thank you for what you're doing uh, in the lives of us in this church, Lord. And we just say that we are... Uh, coming into agreement with the words that were spoken today, Lord, that we have faith and that we are going to possess this land for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go beat the heat. Good morning, Free Life Church. We are glad you've joined us today. If you're visiting in person, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag and learn more about Free Life Church. We look forward to meeting you. Free Life Church will be welcoming our dear friends Greg and Michelle Haswell, lead pastors of Northlands Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Greg and Michelle will be guest speakers on Sunday, September 19th during our regular 10 a.m. service. Come join us for this special ministry event. Our discovery class has been rescheduled to September 25th, 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. here at the church. We hope those of you who want to learn more about us and how to connect can join us. Lunch and childcare are provided. Ladies are invited to a social evening of fun and fellowship at the Diaz's home on Friday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Registration is open through September 20th. Kids Place has some wonderful events happening this month. Enjoy a day of family fun apple picking at Great Country Farms from 1 to 3 p.m. on September 16th. On Monday, September 27th, all Kids Place team members have a training time from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. The Kids Place Encounter Night has been rescheduled to Saturday, October 16th. If you're interested in joining the excitement happening in Kids Place, contact Denise Fry. Come and join us on Constitution Day, September 17th for a day trip to Philadelphia. For more information, contact Heather Paris. The Family Research Council Pray, Vote, Stand Summit is an event hosted by Cornerstone Chapel on October 6th through 8th. We encourage members of the Free Life Church community to attend this important conference. For complete details and registration, visit prayvotestand.org summit. Free Life Church is hiring for an administrative position. For more information, contact our church director, Cynthia Owen, at cowen at freelifechurchva.com. Remember, for more information about all of our events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for tuning in.